Hey, this is Chuck Dixon, and you're listening to Signal of Doom. Well, you know, for me, the action is the juice. I'm in. Hello and welcome to Signal of Doom, a very special episode. We've got Elliot S. Magan on the line, the famous Bronze Age Superman writer. Um, Elliot, it is a pleasure to have you on. Welcome to Signal. Well, thank you. My... And welcome back. Oh, yeah, we love it. Uh, Rich, Rich is here as well. Rich, how are you going? Hello, hello, hello. Nice to meet you there, Elliot. We've been reading a lot of your stuff at the moment. We have, we Great. have. Um, now, Elliot, the first question that we always ask a Signal of Doom guest on their first uh, on their first, you know, chat with us is Betty or Veronica. Which which way do you go, Elliot? Betty. Betty, thank you. A, a, a vote for the home team with Betty, and I'm and I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> now, we also always ask about the Secret Origin. Uh, Rich, you've got a question about the Secret Origin. Yes, just uh, we, we like to ask everyone, what's the secret origin? What got you into writing? What got you into comics? And uh, how did you break into the comic book biz? Well, um, gee, I, I, I wrote a term paper for, uh, for, uh, for a history class uh, on the history of the media. And I wanted to make a point that um, comic books could be used as a, as a political tool. Wow. So I wrote a Green Arrow story. Um, as part of the as part of the paper, and I I, I got a B plus, um, and I thought, okay, if you write a comic book story for a history paper, you either get an A or an F. <laughs> so I went I went to the professor and complained to him. I said, give me an A or an F. He said, no, B plus is going to stand. So I was really pissed about that. I mean, I I worked harder. So I sent a copy to uh, to Carmine Infantino. And he gave it to Julie Schwartz, and Julie gave it to Neil, and Neil read it on the subway and came back the next day and said, "If uh, if you buy this, uh, I'll draw it," and he did. Wow, that's how I broke in. Was that the Green Arrow story? What can one man do? The one about um... it was. That's a great yeah. storyline. And yeah, Neil Adams, what a fantastic partner on art for your first comic book gig. Yeah, isn't that isn't that bizarre? <laughs> <laughs> when you, I've got a question. When you wrote that. Um, did you write it like in full script or did you write it kind of like Marvel method? Do you remember? I wrote it in full script, but I wrote it weirdly. Mm. That is, um, I made a diagram of the, of, of, uh, of the panels for each page and actually typed in panel descriptions and, and dialogue for each panel. Wow. That's, that's interesting. I, I was kind of making it up as I went along. Yeah, and in that period of time, was I assume that was the time they were doing the um, Denny O'Neill, Green Lantern, Green Arrow stuff? Was that around that period? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Did those storylines, um, and I love that run, um, had elements sort of social commentary mixed into the story, did that kind of light a fire on you that this was a medium worth investigating and working in? Was it what? Like a medium, the comic medium. Did you, when you read those stories, was that one of the reasons you thought I yeah. want to get into comics well, based on this stuff? Well, yeah, yeah. Um, I was, uh, I was running a a tutoring program for a bunch of kids in this low income housing uh, development near my college. Right. And and the housing authority gave us an apartment, you know, to to uh, I don't know, use as a playroom. Yeah. So I, I I got a bunch of my old comics 
from, you know, the early 60s and brought him up there. And the kids like ate him and or decimated him or flushed him or something. Yeah. Um, so I started buying comics again. I hadn't bought comics for two or three years. Yeah. And I, 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 I latched onto the Green Lantern Green Hour series because it just was so good. I mean, mm. it was, I, 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 it occurred to me that, you know, somebody was writing these things, that somebody was paying attention to them and mm. creating a, developing characters and, and doing a lot more with the medium than I, than I thought was possible before. So I, you know, Denny, Denny was like my, uh, my, uh, signal in the dark uh, he, that was yeah. he was he was who i learned to write comics from right um and uh yeah and i i was worried that he might you know because i was i ended up taking up half of the book that he would have written sure um but he wasn't you know he wasn't hurting for work <laughs> yeah so was um, so he ever was he ever like as your career went on did he ever was he ever your editor because i know he edited for a long time as well just for one book i, right. I did a, a graphic novel called uh, the blue the gray and the bat and we've got questions uh, with, about that later elliot because i love that book yeah. that's the the civil war um sort of batman book is, is how to describe yeah. it yeah. yeah okay so that was later when he was a batman editor like decades later literally yeah yeah Cool. So, so what do you know yeah. about the Civil War in Australia? Uh, broad, I, I mean, me personally, Rich might know more. Broad brushstrokes. Um, like, I watched okay. the Ken Burns documentary, you know, many, many years ago. Um, I know it was a, a very challenging conflict for you guys, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. A brother yeah, against brother kind of thing, you know? Brother against brother. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was a, it was maybe the biggest crisis we've had in mm. this country. Yeah, let's hope it doesn't happen again, man, because sometimes you wonder, well, don't you? Let's hope not. Yeah. Now, speaking back to, um, I noticed when I was reviewing some of your stories, like going through them, I noticed quite a lot of Green Arrow. Was he one of your favorite characters at DC, obviously outside of Superman, which you became very associated with? He, he was. He yeah. was. Yeah. He was He was the one I modeled after me. Really? I gave him my speech pattern. Yeah, I talked funny in the 70s. I was... <laughs> That's funny. That's 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 hilarious. Um, now I gave him I gave him expressions I used, you know. Um, my freaking mind, he said at some point, and, and I used to say that all the time. He always and, used to argue people, with Hawkman. I remember Hawkman and him used to argue yeah. all the time. <laughs> yeah, well, Green Arrow was was the classic rebel, and Hawkman was essentially a cop. Yes, so yes. they really didn't they didn't get along. They liked each other, but you wouldn't know it. You know, was there a Hawkman at DC? The kind of a Hawkman, if you were Green Arrow, was there a Hawkman in the halls? <laughs> um, no, I don't think so. No, he was no, he was fairly uh right wing, he was the opposite, really, of uh Green Arrow, yeah, really. yeah, 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 I remember. Now, look. I mean, it is an honor to have you on the show. And really, honestly, one of my favorite Tom comic books is Must There Be a Superman. I still remember reading this in a collection back in the 90s, and I, it blew my mind. Um, can you give us the genesis of this story? Like, how did you come up with it? We, we, had you done many comics before? Because I, I love this storyline. It was the second, I think, the second comic book story I'd written. Really? Wow. Julie said at some point, um, you think it can handle a Superman story? Mm. And I said, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He said, you know, it's the hardest character to write. I said, okay. And I believed him for like two or three years because 
I, I believed him because he told me. But yeah. I, I, when I thought about it, I found that he really wasn't the hardest character to write. It's just that nobody knew how to write him. Mm. <laughs> you know, very few people did. Gary did. Yeah, um, for sure. For sure. I mean, didn't Danny um, O'Neill famously kind of say it wasn't his, even though he did great Superman, it wasn't really yeah, his cup of tea? Yeah, he didn't like the character. He mm. thought he was... He thought he was too powerful. I said, you know, I told him this. I said, you know, this Superman stories aren't about power. They yeah. start with the question, uh, what do you do in a given situation if you've got all the power in the world? Mm. That's mm. the basis of every story. It's about moral and ethical choices. Yeah. Uh, and then yeah. he kind of kind of grunted and went on to write you know 30 years worth of Batman. i was gonna say he went to he's like that's great i'll leave it with you i'm going over to batman yeah exactly <laughs> um now look that storyline and for for listeners if you're not aware of it check it out it's in all the best of superman collections it's basically the guardians whatever they're yeah. called the guardians of the green land and guardians um sort of putting an idea in superman's mind that he's helping too much and holding back the human race um, it's definitely yeah. a classic now. Um, how was it received at the time by an editor like Julie Schwartz and then the public? Like, was it was it at the time? Was it a big was it a big splash? Well, I guess so. I mean, I you know, I didn't I didn't get much feedback from anybody but but Julie. Yeah. Um, you know, we didn't have an internet. We we weren't in touch with anybody. We mm. didn't have any clue what was out there. You had the letters um, columns. That they, was about what you had, wasn't it? Yeah, nobody would tell us, you know, how many copies the books were selling because they were worried we might ask for a raise. Really? You so you, you didn't know how much they would sell? Really? No. Well, that's no, interesting. I, I wonder how much they did yeah. sell, like, back in the 70s. I wonder if we're talking, like, hundreds of thousands or, or what are we talking? Yeah. I wonder. You know. um, yeah, Superman hovered between 400 and 450,000 really? uh, a month. Wow. It was an enormous seller. That's huge. That and, doesn't surprise uh, me. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'm going to ask you a deep question um, about that comic. So must there be a Superman? It kind of leaves it open, even in, you know, Clark's mind. Um, I'm going to ask well, you a question. Do you believe, well, let, like, let me, let yeah, me, go let ahead. Let me do something on that. Yeah. Uh, the interesting thing about that to me, it, it, I always thought that the Guardians and Superman should have more commerce. Yeah. They, they would, you know, it would be rational for them to, to run into each other here mm -hmm. and there. And the guardians didn't take direct action really having to do with almost anything. They're there for 8 billion years. Yep. The universe is coming along and they're kind of looking for trouble and fixing little things and mm -hmm. sending out their, sending out their little intergalactic police force or like yep. 3,600 guys <laughs> uh, to take care of a universe that stretches for, you know, mm. 25 billion light years in any direction. <laughs> um, There's so only they, so much they, they could they do. Were, yeah. Yeah. They, they were much, they, they were very much about, about indirect action, about making suggestions. And that's what they were doing in that story. They were making suggestions that mm. Superman might pull back a little bit, be a little less active mm. with, you know, with the stuff he was doing. Um, I think, I think, if somebody was going to ask them uh, about Superman's career, they'd say, well, I, I wish he wouldn't wear that loud costume. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he shouldn't go around being noticed by everyone. I think that's, that was the, that was the key to that story. 
Okay, I'm sorry. No, uh, no, no. I, I, we love it, man. Like, and this ties into my next question because I love that you, as you say, brought the uh, Guardians into sort of contact with Superman. And my next storyline that I love, it's called the greatest, sorry, greatest Green Lantern of them all. Um, yeah, and I love this one. It was like a backup. You, I like how you weave the Green Lantern myth in with Krypton. Was that a totally original take? Had no one thought of that before? Because you gave uh, well, Krypton a Green well, Lantern. I, mean, I think Tomar Ray. Yeah, yeah. The, the the it was from a conversation with Neil Adams. Okay, he said, you know, who was the Green Lantern of Krypton? Why didn't he save Krypton? Yeah, and that Neil said that. And I said, oh, there's an idea. So I came up with this story. Uh, The idea was that the Green Lantern of Krypton would probably have been Kal-El. Yeah, Um, yeah. And and the reason that, you know, Krypton exploded was because it pretty much wanted to explode. Yeah. Um, Krypton was was a a baby star, you know. It was a star that never made it. Mm. It was enormous. It was bigger than Jupiter. And the mass of it was just short. You know, Earth is the most dense planet in the solar system. Mm-hmm. Um, if there were a Jupiter the size of uh, the, the density of Earth, that is all land, all rock. Yep. Um, it'd, it'd blow up. It'd be a star. Krypton was almost in the position to be a star. Mm. It just never quite made it. And, and I think uh, the reason it blew was because it just got to the critical mass that that should have made it a star, but it was too busy being a planet. You know what I mean? Well, also, yeah, uh, I totally agree. And and the, and the council never listen to Jor El. Well, you know that from a lot of Superman comics. So like he goes to the council, yeah. the council ignores him. Um, we kind of make fun of it sometimes on the show because they, like they constantly go back to they flash all the time back to Jor El going to the council. Like how many more times are we going to do it? But yeah, you know, yeah, I mean, like. He must have shown them the data. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He, got, he has to have shown them the proof he had. And uh, yeah, he did, I think, and they just ignored him. Yeah, and yeah. it was, it, you know, they were they were they were frozen in place. These guys, um, bureaucracy. They were like bureaucracy, Elliot. Yeah. like the dealing with the government, yeah. dealing with council. And they were like know? the they were like the oil industry. You yeah, know. Yes. Yes. Uh, you know, you tell them that you're destroying the world, and they say, "Oh, okay. Well." We're well, making money. The price is just a little we're, we're making money, so we don't really care if the planet's dying. We're making cash. <laughs> yeah, and that's what's going on here now. You yeah. know, now to it's me, not unrealistic. No, it's not. It's not at all. Now, to me, that Green Lantern storyline could easily be part of either a Green Lantern or Superman movie, even an animated show. In your, um, you know, career. Has that ever come up? Yeah. Like, has has anyone ever said to you, we could put that in the Superman animated series, or we could put that in, you know, Lois and Superman, or Superman and Lois, whatever it's only, called? Only about a thousand times a day. Really? Yeah, I keep thinking of that. I mean, I I moved out to California because I wanted to, I wanted to write television and movies. Okay. And when I end, what I ended up doing was a little a little animation. I did a, you know, I mean, everybody wants to wants to get in the act. So yeah. You know, I mean, I got lucky with comics. I got in the club. Yeah. Um, with animation, I really never made it into the club. Right. Um, for, I don't know, who knows, whatever reasons. I mean, the, the, uh, the first guy, that, you, you, they say that work doesn't count unless somebody 
you don't know gives it to you. Yeah, right. You know, yeah. you don't have an in. It's well, hard to break in, basically, guy, yeah. Yeah, the guy that gave me the first work in California was a guy named Larry Houston. I don't know if you know him. Mm. Uh, but he was producing the X-Men um, animated series. Oh, cool, yeah. Yeah, and and I, you know, I did a story for him, and we made friends. We were like, we were like buddies. I see him every week. Yeah, you know? yeah. Um, Is he still around or not? Yeah, he's still around. He's doing conventions all over the world, actually. Right. Um, do you do a lot of conventions yourself? Out. Do you do a lot of conventions huh? yourself? Do you do a lot of conventions? Like not not the last two or three years because of COVID, uh, because of the pandemic. Yeah, but I I I was doing four or five a year, right. and you know I keep telling people, send me a plane ticket, I'll follow you anywhere. Exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, I got you. Yeah, I, mean, I like I like conventions. Yeah, man. I mean, I, just flashing back to the 70s, you, um, that period, you had the Galaxy Broadcasting Corporation, Steve Lombard, Morgan Edge, a really great yeah. energy in the supporting cast of Superman. Was it fun for you, kind of coming in as a writer in the 70s, to write outside the classic Superman Daily Planet? Like, did it all feel like fresh territory? Because I, I love that Galaxy Broadcasting Corporation well, vibe. It, it was fun. It was fun. It was, it was fun to, <clears throat> to help the character evolve. But I was always, um, I was always anxious to keep the old supporting characters around. You know, sure. I did stories about Perry White, yes, about Lois and Jimmy, of course. Um, I and I always made a point, even you know, Julie, it was Julie's idea to to put Clark in television because he said kids don't know anything about newspapers anymore, right? Um, mm-hmm. You know. I, ahead, I of, ahead of his time, really, I, to think that as well, like considering you know yeah, how print media. Yeah. Uh, newspapers like these days are really are kind of like struggling. Like Julie was ahead yeah. of his time to think TV was the was the place for Clark well, to go. He was he was ahead of his time in a lot of ways. He was sure. uh, yeah. He was a very bright guy. Yeah. No. It's um, when, when the movie came out. Like when did the movie come out? Was it seventy eight? Um, seventy eight. Yeah. Yeah. When the movie came out, and I'm flashing back to my memories of watching it. Um, it had that classic supporting <laughs> cast, like he was at the Daily Planet and all that. Was there pressure fed back to the comic book writers to then? Did you guys then go back to the to the newspaper, or, or what was the story then? Um, no, I think we were we were following our own timeline. Yeah. Okay. Um, and that when that movie came out, that must have been for you guys. You you must because Superman was like the number one thing. You know, in yeah. those years, it must have done wonders for the comic book sales, did it, at the time? Or, you know, oh, like, yeah. yeah. They, supposedly, they went crazy. Still, we didn't get, you know, reports on it. Did you get royalties but, uh, from it? Do you, do you, do you, did you get royalties back the then comics? or not? Yeah. No, not back then. Really? Um, okay. I wrote, I wrote the two novels that came out with the first two movies. Yeah, great novels. Uh, and they great were independent novels. stories. Those were... Those were separate from the films, and and the reason for that was um, that there were that there were there was a conflict over the the rights to do a novelization of the of the scripts. Mm-hmm. So um, those novels sold like gangbusters, um, oh, and I got royalties from that. Well, I bought I'm a house. And I, and I want to point listeners to those novels, uh, Last Son of Krypton and Miracle Monday. Um, I believe you yes. have published them. 
you know, recently I've got copies of them. They are fantastic novels, Elliot. Really, honestly. Oh, thank you. Oh yeah, man, I, I love them. I love them. I mean, I'm I'm I've been um, reading Last Summer Crypto. I bought it, but I've also been listening to your audio um, podcast. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, man. I mean, you yeah, you, you, you do a lot of heavy lifting there, man. You do voices. You do sound effects. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, some of it works and some of it doesn't. Oh, it's yeah. good fun. It's good fun. <laughs> um, now, Rich, you've got some questions here. Go ahead, man. Yes, yeah, so uh, Elliot, you mentioned uh, wanting to get into sort of like TV and animation, and I believe you did actually write um, a few scripts for like the 90s Spider-Man, X-Men, and the Batman yeah. animated TV show. Do you remember how many scripts you did and, and which ones they were? I just did the three animation scripts, uh, those three. Uh, one, uh, Batman was the Cape and Cowl Conspiracy. I know, uh, that, I know that one. That's a great one. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Um, X-Men was Time Bandits, uh, part two, I guess. And I think on Spider-Man, geez, I can't remember the name of the, of, of the story, but it included the origin of Spider-Man. And was that the Spider-Man oh. 90s animated show that, you know, the long running yeah. one? Yeah. Oh, wow. That, that, yeah, the, the original one. The, the guy who did that, uh, he's an interesting character. I, 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 I want to get him on the show at some point. He, he, I'm Which not, one? Uh, he's the producer. He's on Facebook all the time. He runs the Facebook page. Um, I, I think he was the Bruce showrunner behind the whole thing. I, I'll, I'll dig up his name while we're talking, but um, he 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 certainly has some very strong opinions about Spider Man and the animated show. That's for sure. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Um, I don't know. Yeah. And uh, also, Elliot, I'm I'm curious. You've been such a you know um, the Superman sort of uh, writer. You know, you've you've been associated with the character for so long. I'm curious when they when they were doing the Lois and Clark TV show. Uh, you, were you ever approached for any scripts or to work on on that show, no, being the I, Superman expert? I I wrote a spec script for them and made friends with the with one of the story editors and pitched uh, pitched it to him mm. uh, for the last uh, the last season. Right. Um, and he said, you know, this is a good script. If it were any other season, if it weren't the last season, we'd we'd probably buy it. But they had this whole storyline going with with Lois being a reptile or something. Yeah, <laughs> and after the marriage, I mean, I watched it after the marriage. The ratings fell off the cliff in that last season as well, so they really, yeah, they really yeah. struggled in that last bit. Now I found the guy's name, John Semper Junior. I don't know if you're familiar with him. Um, oh, Semper. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah, he was. He's a great guy. I, he's a friend now. Cool. Yeah. No, he seems like a cool um, guy. I, I, I'm, I'm on his Facebook page and about the spider-man show and stuff he, he he really did a lot for the spider-man you know franchise um, oh yeah yeah definitely yeah, yeah we did a we did a panel mm. geez a bunch of us yeah. uh for a a little convention they had here in la um called eagle con mm-hmm. and uh, john was on it and i was on it larry houston was on it glenn ween was there cool i don't remember who else did but, you did you uh, ever write any point, spider-man at, at any point did you ever get a chance um, I did, I did one Spider-Man story. Okay. Um, I used, I used to go whenever I had a fight with Julie, which was often, um, I would go down the street, Yo. you know, and, and I get work from Marvel. I mean, it, it started and at some point I called up Stan, Stan Lee. Yeah. And I said, I want to make an appointment to see you in your office, like grownups. And he said, okay, we can be grownups for a day. <laughs> so I went and I said, 
I need four books a month. My editor is pissed at me and we're not speaking. Right. Uh, he said, you're going to have one. So he, he dragged me off to see Jerry Conway, who was editing at that point. Yeah. And uh, he said, give all you the Spider-Man story. I said, okay, you, you're on. So cool. I did a Spider-Man story. It was actually the sixth or eighth issue, episode, issue of uh, Peter Parker, the Oh, the spectacular, Spider-Man. spectacular Spider-Man. Yeah, yeah, right. Okay, that's the one. So you would, you, you, about... you, you kind of went there, cap in hand, hat in hand, after fighting with Julie and saying, "Look, I'm out of DC. Yeah, I need work." Well, I mean, you know, I was a freelancer. I wasn't on contract anywhere. Yeah, no, I hear. So you. I could, yeah. I could go anywhere, but I hadn't worked for them before. But then right. every time I had a fight with Julie, I would go down down the street and get work from somebody at Marvel. Well, I mean, um, let's face it, you, you you were all over those DC titles in the 70s, So you, and, and you, you guys were credited, thankfully, in the 70s, because I know before that there was yeah. a lot of times people weren't even credited, which is outrageous yeah. to me, you know, but uh, it was... Yeah, when I was, when I was an editor there, somebody, somebody came to me with a problem. They wanted to reprint an old story from, like, the 50s or something, mm. a Superman story. And there was no there was no credit on it. They didn't know who to send the royalties to. I said, from now on, <laughs> from now on, whenever we have a Superman story, we want to send royalties on. Then to Jerry and Joe, Jerry oh, Siegel and Joe Schuster. Yeah. Um, and that's what they did for men on. Well, thank they thought that yeah. was a wonderful idea. Well, that's a great idea. I mean, you should be proud of that because I don't want to derail the show, but I mean, just my opinion, it is appalling how so many comic book creators have been treated by by the both oh, both yeah. of the big two. No, I'm not even I'm not sounding out one or the other. I mean, just in general, it's it's it is appalling, you know. Yeah, Jerry and Joe, uh, Bill Finger, for heaven's sake, he yeah. was the guy who created Batman. I don't yeah. care what they say, <laughs> and, and, and a lot of other stuff as well. Bill Finger, like yeah. a lot of Batman stuff, is Bill Finger. And just, I mean, recently, yeah. last few years, there's been some moves. I think he now gets a credit, and I would assume some sort of compensation to the family. But I mean, he died, I believe, in um in poverty. I think you know he was yeah, and he was in his mid fifties or something. It's crazy. It was like man. 1974. He died. Yeah, it it, uh, it sends a chill be... down the spine, doesn't it? Really. Yeah, I mean, the reason he's got credit now is because. Mark Tyler Nobleman, mm. who's a writer, he's not a comic book writer, he writes graphic novels. Um, he wrote a book called uh, Bill the Boy Wonder. Right. Um, he found Bill's granddaughter, and she didn't know who her grandfather was. She knew her grandfather, but she didn't know oh, really? that he was this iconic figure in, in pop culture. Um, wow. And he convinced her to uh, to object to uh, Bob Kane's um, mm. uh, singular yeah. uh, creator credit on the character, and she did. Um, and and Mark kind of walked her through um, the brambles with the with the copyright office in Washington and so forth, and yeah. and he's really responsible for her claiming credit on that. So yeah, their family is getting well, thank God. Some compensation. Oh, Jesus Christ. And I credit. Mean, thank God. Yeah. Credit and compensation. <laughs> I'm a big believer in both because sometimes I think the, I mean, you'd know this yourself, Elliot. I'm sure you've gotten thanks many times, but a, a thanks in a credits as compared to like 50 K, you know, I know what yeah. I take. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, well, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. It's a point of contention. 
It is. It is. Um, and we we like to shine a light on Signal of Doom. It's one of my pet things. I do like to shine a light on them sometimes because I know things have improved, but I still feel there's a long, long way to go. You know, I really well, do. You know, now in, in a lot of cases they don't know what they're doing. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, there was a there was an episode of. Uh, <clears throat> sorry. You're right. Edit that out. <laughs> yep. There was an episode of Superman and Lois. Yes. Um where they did this whole big thing about Miracle Monday. Uh-huh. You know, Superman did something remarkable, and everybody suddenly got happy. <laughs> and the mayor declared... <clears throat> I don't know why. Have a glass of water. And the mayor declared, this is Miracle Monday, and they had a big thing about Miracle Monday in Smallville. And there was no thanks at the end. Nobody had told me they were going to do it. Yeah. And nobody, you know, nobody did anything. So I called up a friend of mine who's, who's at DC, and I said, you know, I'm really pissed off. Yeah. And I told him, I said, I created Miracle Monday. Yeah. I created the phrase, the last son of Krypton, for heaven's sakes. You use it every other episode. Did you really? Um, wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, I created LexCorp. I said, wow. I want credit and I want money. Yeah. Hell and, yeah. Hell yeah. And that's, <laughs> you know, he said, okay, we'll, we'll take it under advisement. I said, no, 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 you're going to, you're going to negotiate. You're not going to, you're not going to make a rule. You're going to negotiate. Yeah. So, you know, I got a lawyer on it. Good. It's no big deal. And did you get, I mean, but, I, we um, don't, we're not your accountant, but is there some progress on it after that? Like, is there some resolution? Well, you know, the, I don't know if you've seen the, uh, the super pets, uh, cartoon. I have, I, I, I have seen it. Yes. I don't know what contribution I made to that, but when they list the thanks at the end, they had my name in it. That's the first time that happened. They really? never thanked me for anything. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing because you wrote it for so – like you were involved with Superman for, I want to say, about 16 or, or roughly years. Wasn't it like a decade and a half kind of thing? Yeah, yeah, it was 15 to 17, something like that. That's crazy. And, um, and only now, like, you, if you – you invented LexCorp. See, I didn't know that. I mean, I'm like, that. they yeah. use LexCorp – Every day of the week when Lex Luthor's involved now, you know, it's it's yeah. consistent. Yeah. Um, look, turning to, you know, th- that is interesting. Now, Superman never, Clark Kent forever, and you can flip it the other way around. This is a brilliant story arc that I know you co-wrote oh, this with you. Kerry Bates. Oh, I love it. Like, yeah. so you guys, um, you really explored what it would be like if Superman either went 100% Clark Kent or 100% Superman. Um what was it? Was it fun co-writing with Kerry Bates? And I assume you guys oh, were, yeah. were friends. Like, can you take us through it? Yeah, we were buddies. We it was it was maybe the easiest collaboration I've ever had with anybody. Yeah, because his strengths were exactly the opposite of mine. Right. Um, he was a great plotter. Mm-hmm. Uh, he he could he could tell a story, chapter and verse, point for point. Um, without writing anything down, it was like it was really? supernatural. Yeah. And and what we did was he would write the scene descriptions and leave everything blank. He would just write scene descriptions. Yeah. For twenty four pages, and and I would fill in the dialogue and the and the captions. Because you whatever. were great at dialogue and character, and your your Superman stories are filled with character moments. You know. Oh yeah. Thanks. Oh, so so well, wow. Like- so you you two combined and. You came out with this gem. I mean, um, I, yeah. I noticed at the time too, like this is back in like, it's around, if I'm remembering, it's Superman 296 to 299, I think, which I assume is yeah. early 70s. Um, um, 
Yeah. At that time, four issue arcs would would have been very rare, wouldn't they? Like, how did you get this past Julie? Um, we wanted it. Well, Julie just said, you know, come up with an idea for number three hundred. Mm. Um, so what we did was we wanted to lead up to it. Yep. With something. Uh, so we came up with the idea of the arc. Um, yeah, it wasn't about getting it past Julie. He, he was loved he it. was on board with it. He liked That's the great. idea. That's great. And, and then we yeah. did that imaginary story for number three hundred. I love that one as well. Like so, what yeah. what, I'm, what I love as well, and I'm glad we've got Elliot on the show to ask this question to him, Rich. Um, you had uh, Clark and Lois having a proper date night. Now, as far as I'm concerned, Elliot, you're the man yeah. on the scene. But, look, let's face it; they they had sex that night, didn't they? It was a proper was it was it was it consummated that night, Elliot, in your imagination? In my imagination, definitely. <laughs> But, oh yeah, come but on! It was like an come adult on. moment. We, we we did this on the show a few weeks ago, and I'm like, this to me. I mean, it's so weird. The seventies, we think of it in terms of movies. Like movies really grew up. The comic book medium was really growing up, and yeah, yeah it just like it's not graphic or anything, but it's just like two adults. And um, I thought it was. I thought it was. I thought it was such a good storyline. Now I want to ask you. Disappearing behind the couch as the as the. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because Clark really puts the moves on Lois when he's like hundred percent Clark Ken, and he puts Steve Lombard, yeah. who I've, who created Steve Lombard. Was that you and Kerry, or like who Kerry. created that? Kerry. Yeah. Kerry did the first story with Steve, but you know we we used we both used him. Used him a ton. Extensively, yeah. Love Steve Lombard as a character. Now, um, I want to ask you about the secret identity. DC, in the last couple of years, had a storyline where Superman revealed his, um, like, secret identity to the, not just his supporting cast, like, you know, obviously Lois knew, but everyone else, but the whole world. Like, what do you think of that? And, like, yeah. did you ever play with that in your time as, um, you know, no, writer? I thought it was a bad idea. Me too. Yeah. Um, I think I agree. And, no, I, I no. I mean, it, Superman is a is a is a Greek myth. Yeah, <clears throat> he's a classic ancient um, icon. Yeah, uh, an archetype, like a god, and, kind of almost. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, and and throughout the development of storytelling, for heaven's sake, the great hero came onto the scene disguised. You never knew he was there. Until he took his disguise away, it was like uh, like Zeus or Athena. They used to disguise no, themselves. No, well, yeah. Zeus, Zeus uh, masqueraded as the Swan. Yeah, yeah. But Odysseus came back home. Yeah, yeah. Um, dressed as a beggar. Yep. And the only one who recognized him was his old dog. Yeah. Uh, wow, that's bringing it King back. Arthur. Yeah. Yeah. King Arthur. King Arthur was was this uh, peasant boy who was raised in in the home of a of a minor duke. Until they realized who he really was, it was yeah. revealed uh, magically. Yeah. Um, you know, there's a recurring theme, and and there's a reason for it. Mm. Uh, the notion of greatness coming out of something um, ordinary, mundane. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. Is is a is a very powerful theme. Mm. Uh, so for Superman to tell everybody he's Clark, yeah, I don't think that works. Um, also, if Superman were a one shot, if we did a one, yes, you know, if, if Superman were were a feature film and never anything else, yeah. at the end he would reveal he's Clark. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, but as an ongoing character, no. 
How seriously can anyone take Clark Kent typing away a story when he everyone knows he's Superman? Like, shouldn't he be out being Superman? Yeah, he shouldn't. Yeah. No, I mean, like, there's, yeah. I did. I did this kind of in um, in Miracle Monday. At mm. some point, um, the the devil character yep. rips away uh, Clark's clothes on 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 television, and everybody sees that he's Superman. Yeah, and the way the world treats it is Clark Kent died. Right. And that's essentially what would be true. Clark Kent died. Yeah. The persona dies. Anymore. Yeah. It's done. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah, I, I agree. It's just, it's, it's weird, but like, I don't know how much contact you have with modern DC, but they are a little bit clueless at the moment. Uh, I don't know if you're aware of it Elliot, right. but they are sort of a bit directionless. So, Yeah. You know. Well, I get that impression. Yeah, unfortunately. Now, something I want to move on to um, that I think it, it, I, I, you know, I, I read quite a lot of your stuff leading into this. You treat Lex Luthor in a really interesting way. Um, and in Superman two nine two, there's one called the Luthor nobody knows, and um, yeah, it, it's all about you. You really get into it. Like your Luthor isn't as he's a little bit misunderstood. I feel like who was Lex Luthor to you? You know, like. Well, he's the character I most identified with really in the Superman series. Wow. Um, yeah. I mean, he's okay. The thing about Lex is he's potentially the most revered person on the planet. He mm-hmm. would, he would have been Leonardo if there hadn't been a Superman. Mm-hmm. Yep. He was brilliant. He would have excelled in whatever field or series of fields he chose to pursue. Um, and he's aware of that. And Superman made that moot. Yeah. Um, there's nothing Lex could do to excel and exceed Superman, except be a bad guy. Yeah. He's opposition. That's why he's a bad guy. Yeah. He's, he's the best criminal around because Superman couldn't possibly be a criminal. He doesn't know how. And I want to point listeners to your last son of Krypton, your depiction of Lex in there. I I really understood what you're saying. Like he's a genius. We always say he's a genius, but that was the first time I really realized he is actually kind of, he's immoral more than evil. And he's just so far yeah. ahead of most people. Now yeah. you had a quote and I was quoting it to Rich last show in that Superman 292. Someone asks, uh, Superman, is hate or Luther ever had? And he responded, no, it's not. But it's the only thing on Earth he's got left. Like, his hate for Superman kind of defines him in a weird way because it's his rivalry, I think, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Now, was this... Did I write that or somebody else? No, Who that was that? you, man. That was you, dude. Um, yeah? Don't worry. I, I, and I know this because I, I scrupulously like to do my research before shows, and so that is what... that is. You're, you are credited as the writer, I will say that. Um, well, I... So I will say that's If it was you. in words, I wrote it. Yeah. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> Elliot. Now, I've got a question for you. Uh, in that same storyline, uh, Luther blaming Superboy for losing his hair, did you create yeah. that then in the 70s, or no, was that no. something from the Silver Age? That was that was from the, uh, the Silver Age, yeah, the Mort Weisinger story, I think. Right. I can't remember who wrote it. I think it was Edmund Hamilton. But it was a story about how Clark and Lex were buddies Yes. When they were teenagers and, and uh at some point uh Superboy is, is uh responsible for his losing his hair. And I I like that story. I yeah, mean it's cool. you know, it was the it was the easiest way 
to explain Luther hates Superboy because he's bald. Yeah, okay. the, the origin of it kind of thing. Um, yeah, I mean, he's kind of, you know, it's not the real reason. No. But it's it's an easy way to get past it so as not to make it a major story element every time you allude to it. Totally. Now, I believe it was you and Kurt Swan who gave Luther the purple suit with the high collar, like that really cool visual. Yeah. Now, was that all Kurt yeah. Swan or, or was it in the script? Because I love no, that I look, man. It. Oh, I love that look, I dude. I don't think I picked the colors, but I but I said use the, you know, the belts, the cross belts on the chest and fill them full of Batman kind of utility belt stuff. <laughs> oh man! I, like, um, in all honesty, I that to me, I think, because when I was growing up, that was the Luther that was always around, and really? I, I, oh, I love it, man! Yeah, I just remember, uh, you know, older comics and stuff, r- looking at that, and I just loved that look. And I know they upgraded it, sort of, I guess, in the nineties or something, to sort of the power armor. But I love the original suit yeah. that you have with the high collar. It's such a such a cool, um, a cool look. Um, yeah, and, I liked it. I, you know what? I like the. I didn't like the the power armor, but I used it. I, I think I think Carrie came up with that. Yeah, it's cool. But, it's um, cool too. Like, don't get me I like, wrong. I cool. like the great prison fatigues. <laughs> the original. Well, <laughs> well, that's the that's the old one, isn't it? That's the original. Like, he's always out of prison. Yeah, that's but, that's but the way I, it was when I was a kid. I always felt like I love the prison thing, but it's kind of like I feel like you metamorphosed him. He's more than just a prison escapee with you. He is really the kind of cra- the genius kind of thing, and he's got yeah. the penthouses, and he's kind of got more of a life. Like he has people yeah. on. If you read Last Son of Krypton, I mean, you wrote it. He's got people on staff and everything. Like it's actually quite cool. Well, that. That's LexCorp. That's the beginning of LexCorp. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is. And I, uh, there was a line that you, you read it. You said a desire for godhood is what Lex has. Um, yeah. Now, did you ever catch any of the Smallville TV show? Because I quite enjoyed the portrayal of Lex there. I, I, it's quite sympathetic, at least initially. I liked it. I liked it. I mean, I, I remember write, reading, uh, reading, watching the first episode with my son, who was 16 at the time. Mm. And he was really getting into it. Yeah. Um, and after it was over, he said, oh, these guys get it. They're they're doing mythological stuff. Yeah. And I said, I didn't know you understood that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it must be in the genes. I don't know. It must be. Yeah. He's <laughs> got he, he's got the Elliot S. Megan genes now. Can, yeah. But he's got he's got. Well, he's a doctor. He's got past me. Well, um, he's on the back cover of your um of your book, actually, I believe. There's yeah, a quote from that. him. You yeah, yeah, good. yeah. It's cool, mate. Well, congratulations to him. It sounds like he's done very well for himself. So, yeah, um, you know, he bought this big house in uh, in Agora Hills uh, a few months ago. Cool. And first time I saw it, I I told him and his wife, I said, you know, I'm so proud of you. You bought a house I can't possibly afford. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're going to do Thanksgiving there from now on, I think. Oh, that's great. That's fantastic. Now, look, I mean, I, I do I do have, like, a, a love of the 70s. Um, what was freelancing like in the 70s? With the amount of work you had at DC, like, you churning out a lot of lot of pages, was it a good time yeah. to be alive and working for DC? Like, did you enjoy those days? It was. Well, New York was the best place to be at that time, as far as I could tell. Yeah. And I did a lot of running around, you know. I I I I've been to a lot of states, a bunch of countries. Mm. New York in the seventies was just it was just so alive. It was like the center of life on earth. Yeah. Um That's what John Lennon said, I think. I think he said something like that, like back in the ancient times. He I think he said in ancient times the center of the world was Rome, in modern times the center of the world is New York. That's what he said when he was yeah, living there. Yeah. yeah. 
I think he was right. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm not sure that's still true. But, well, it shifts, uh, doesn't it? Actually... It shifts, but I think it's still a very important city. I've only been there once myself, but we really enjoyed it when we went there for a trip. Um, yeah. Now, so working with Julie Schwartz, obviously a true yeah. legend. I mean, he, he was a legend even before you guys, he got Superman. I mean, he, he was a legend oh, at yeah. DC for so many years. Yeah, he was, he was my favorite editor from when I was a kid. Yeah. Can you talk us through your professional relationship? Was he very hands-on as an editor, like when he got pages he from you? Yeah, he was. Yeah. Yeah, you couldn't get through a page without his making some mark on it. He was <laughs> really. I. It was like it was like a dog leaving his uh, his spore everywhere. <laughs> it was. It was even at that level because he, he would be managing a lot, a lot of books. So he was very hands-on. I'm surprised he didn't have like a sort of underling to you know farm it out to. Well, yeah. No, he he had no. No, he did everything himself. He was really? Nelson Bridwell was his assistant editor, right? But Nelson, you know, he he did the the letters page and yes, stuff like that. I remember him from the letters pages. I've read them. They're, they're, those letters pages are hilarious. Back then, DC yeah. were not afraid to write. People would write in sometimes quite critically, like in very fine detail. Like it was, it was interesting because I, <laughs> I I thought they would like. Put I mean, they, obviously a lot of people were enjoying it, but you would get dissenters, Elliot, and I'm sure you saw them in the pages. Like people were writing essays, yeah. almost it was crazy. Um, yeah. So yeah, I I read um, that you would actually I did a go, couple of those. Yeah, I love it. I read that you would actually go in and pitch the stories face to face to Julie in his office. Can you take us back? Yeah. What it was like when you would go in? Say you were pitching one of your storylines after you were established. What was it like? Well, I mean, it was, um, well, I told you, we fought a lot. Right. We were, yeah. you know, yeah. we were two Jewish kids from the streets in New York. He was from the Bronx and I was from Brooklyn. So, And he was a fair we, bit older than you, wasn't he? Like a fair... He was, yeah, he was 35 years older than me. 35 years, um, wow. So really a different yeah. generation. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Wow. He was my father's age. Um, right. And was he like a dad? He, was we, he kind of out of touch a little bit? Like, or was he in touch with the modern times? No, he was he was pretty much in touch. Right, yeah, um, had to be. He was he was a very, I don't know he he was a he was like the the market maker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I get it. Like very successful man. Like I mean, I, I just I just find it like I read that you had to pitch cover ideas. Did, does that mean you actually? And excuse me for sounding stupid. Did you actually sketch it out or get an artist to do no. it or just describe it? No, every time. You know, we we'd come up with an idea for a cover. Very often, somebody would draw a cover, yeah, and I'd write a story based on it. Gotcha. Yep. Um, Understood. But the person who who uh, designed all the covers at that time, pretty much all of them, was was Carmine Infantino. Gotcha. Um, yeah. And he was he the publisher these, at one point, wasn't he? Was he the publisher? He was the publisher and yep. president of the company. Wow. But yeah, and and he did. He had this job of editorial director. Right. Um, and what that was a title somebody made up for the guy who did all the covers. Yeah. So there was one editorial director. There was like six or eight editors. And one day the guys from upstairs came down and said, OK, there are a bunch of editors and one editorial director. We're going to make this editorial director president of the company. And that's what they did. Right. <laughs> they basically ran the company for about, I don't know how long, six or eight or ten years. Um, through the seventies and stuff, the sixties and seventies, I yeah, guess. But yeah, but he was still doing the same work, you know. He just had more authority. 
What what, um, what I think surprises me when I hear this storyline is, I mean, I think of Julie Schwartz and Carmen Infantino. I mean, they're legends. I'm surprised they seem to do so much of the day-to-day. Like, now you look at it, there's just so many people in the organisation. It feels like it was a bit leaner. Well, it was it was real lean. Yeah. Um, there were, I think there were 16 full-time employees when I started there. Really? Um, and I was always a freelancer. I was never an employee until I was an editor for a couple so of years. So you didn't really have a contract. So you and Kerry Bates, is this how it would work? How would you know that you could kind of make rent or make your mortgage or whatever? Was it, you just knew you had the work or what was the story? Did he give yeah, you the job? Yeah, you just knew so? you had to work. That's exactly it. Right. Um, you just had to get it. You just had to get a new story every week or two. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I was, I was turning out. At some point, I was turning out 48 stories a year. Wow. Okay. That's, um, that's and a script there. was a script, you know? Yeah. I mean, sometimes they were long, sometimes they were short. Yeah. But a script is a script. Mm. Yeah. It's one job. And a lot of your stories, like the vast, let's say, the, let's generalize, the vast majority, they're kind of like one shots, like one and dones. Um, yeah. Yeah. Which, you, well, that, and that works for that model, I guess, but it's a lot of. Um, I mean, I guess it's pressure, but it was you, you're probably in your zone. Do you think, as a creator, like you really you you kind of knew what you were doing? You had your sea legs, guys. Like yeah. you, you, you could I never, just turn it. I never left the zone. Yeah, I yeah. would go out to bars and and try to meet girls, and I would bring my notebook with me so I'd work. <laughs> yeah. mm. Jotting down notes for what what? But you remember yeah. the, go, the gossip columnist at um the gossip columnist at the she used to I don't forget what her name is Lola or something uh, Lola Barnett or something like that and um. Oh, Lola Barnett. Yeah, she was modeled after after Rona Barrett, who was a cousin of a friend of mine in college. <laughs> cool character. There's a good storyline where Clark writes down, um, uh, I am not who I appear to be. And then you find out at the end of the storyline that it's Batman masquerading as Clark Kent or something. Yeah. It's yeah. such a good story. I love the Scooby-Doo mask he pulls off, like he pulls off the mask at the end. Yeah. And he's been presenting the news. <laughs> For a week, yeah. <laughs> it's gold. Still just reading. Now, Rich, you've got a question huh? here. You've got a question here, Rich, about the about the exclamation. Yeah, just uh, I believe you've got a bit of a story why your S has an exclamation mark. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That was a that was a typo. I got a typo in my name. Um, oh right, originally, yeah. I've got a typographical error in my name, and that was part of my name. <laughs> um, I I. I you know, we didn't use periods at that time. We used this pulp paper that was impossible to read, so periods would get lost in them. Every sentence ended with an exclamation mark. So I was just used to going to that end of the yeah of the typewriter for for <laughs> uh, to finish the sentence. So I accidentally put an exclamation mark after my S, <laughs> and I looked at it, and I said, no, I don't want to change that. Just keep um, it. So I handed it in like that. And uh, Julie just flipped out over. He went down to the production room. He made an announcement that from now on, Elliot's name has an exclamation mark after the S. Well, it makes you stand so out. Good. It makes you stand out. It's cool. Like, it's yeah. a bit of a trademark. I've opened checking accounts with that. I, you know. <laughs> so, um, you know, back in, back in that time period, like, when I was growing up reading comics in, like, the early 80s and stuff, I still remember the the, the paper quality was was it was kind of, you know, tough. Like it was, I always felt like the was, art, like the yeah, art didn't get a proper thing. paper you could buy. Yeah. So it was the cheapest pulp you can get. So is it a pleasure now 
because when they repackage all the stories, like, and, and believe you me, DC need to publish a lot more Bronze Age Superman. They've barely scratched the surface. But a lot of, you know, your stories do turn up in the collections. Is it nice to yeah. see them in a nice, glossy, modern paper? It must it be. Is. Yeah, you know, nice. they, they recolor them. Um, do you like that or not? Yeah, I do. Yeah. I do. They, they actually, um, in many cases, they'll, they'll cut apart an old comic book and, and put it in a solution that gets rid of the color. And have a colorist come in and recolor it, the, you know, either on a computer screen or or with uh, or with uh, paints or whatever. Yeah. Um, the the process, the process that you used to go through, um, to reproduce color, was just bizarre. Yeah. I mean, you would, they would have it, what the colorists did, uh, essentially was, um make suggestions for colors. You know, they would color a page with a, a given set of, uh, of pencils, but they would go to this factory in Connecticut uh-huh. and, and they'd be uh, worked over by these women, like in a sweatshop. Uh, and for every color that showed, they, for every page, there'd be four pages and wow. they'd all be colored in red yeah, because it was the most opaque color. But for, you know, whenever they had a, 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 a shape that was green, they painted in red all through that page. Really? And it was just a bizarre process. And, and I don't want to even explain it anymore. It was just no, nuts. It was, yeah. <laughs> and so what you're but saying is like, it is good that they're now redoing it because like in the, in the modern, like, you know, collections and digitally, the stuff looks fantastic that when they touch it up yeah. and everything. Yeah. So, yeah. I just, oh, they don't touch it up. They recolor it completely from scratch. Right. Okay. Because, you know, you're a writer, but, like, I can imagine a, an artist, like, you know, we're going to bring him up, but Kurt Swan or someone like that, like, it would have been tough for them because I'm sure what they did looked a lot better sometimes than, as you're saying, the repro- yeah. Yeah, reproduction. It would have been tough yeah. as an artist. Like, well, yeah. Kurt Swan's inks were like art, you know. They, his inks were just so tight. Yeah. Um and precise that, uh, I mean, his pencils, his pencils. Yeah, his work. pencils, his pencils, like he's, he's brilliant. And yeah. Um, so what you're saying is you are glad they're going back and totally redoing that kind of stuff. And would you agree with me, Elliot, they need to reprint this Bronze Age Superman that you and Kerry Bates were doing for like all this time period. It's hardly like other than a few stories, so much of it is not actually out and available. It's nuts. Yeah. It's crazy. I don't. I, it's it's a gold mine waiting to happen, and um, I, I don't know if they're they're grinding their way through the the golden age and they're finally getting to the silver age. I think they should flash forward to the bronze age, um, and put some of that well, stuff out from your mouth to God's ears. Yeah, well, I wish they would. Exactly. Now I'd like to see them all recolored. Totally, man. <laughs> now, um, you've mentioned uh, you and Julie would sometimes, you know, obviously quite combustible. Um, relationship. Yeah. I came across an article, and Elliot, I'm so glad you're on the show so I can ask you because I couldn't understand the article. Um, Action Comics 461, there's a backup about Perry White, and apparently yeah. it led to a real estrangement between you and Julie Schwartz, which you did patch up like, you know, later on. Can you... Yeah. I, I read the storyline, and I couldn't see the controversy. What happened? Like, what was... There's more to well, the story okay. than I'm reading. Yeah. He was trying to make a point to me right. about editorial supremacy. And this was this was back room stuff. Um, gotcha. You know, I had, I had young Perry writing a story 
that uh, that uh, that was about the atomic age, the dawn of the atomic age, uh-huh. and he 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 tipped the hand of of uh, the Manhattan Project. Um, he stumbled across some top secret information, didn't realize it was top secret. Right. And essentially, at the end of the story, the way I wrote it, um, the point was that the truth had to come out. In gotcha. every case, the truth had to come out. So he published the, um, the, the information, basically. Yeah. Gotcha. yeah. Yeah. And Julie, Julie said, no, the editor gets to say whatever he <laughs> wants it to say. Right. So, I see. You know, and we we argued about this for about two days, and finally I went down to the production room when the when the inks came in, yeah. And I I I painted over my name with India ink, so right. there's no credit on it. So was what I'm, what I'm reading between we the didn't lines speak for maybe six months after that, right? <laughs> I'm reading between the lines maybe that that was more a reflection. You guys probably at that point were having one of those periods where you were at each other's throats because. Oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, I see. Right. For and, no good reason. Yeah, it's because silly we when were, you think of it. Yeah, right, yeah. We were three kids. <laughs> yeah, I see. But what's funny is he's he thirty five years a older than you. guy and he was basically twelve. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> and and you were what, in your twenties, probably? Yeah. I was in my twenties. I yeah. started Superman when I, I'm Superman when I, when I was twenty. I was still in college. Wow, it's so interesting. And, you know, I always come up with ideas. People are always talking about biopics. I, I actually think that you could do an interesting biopic of Julie Schwartz. Um, yeah. And, you, you know, like they're always searching for material, like for new stuff. I just think because he straddles so many eras and stuff. Like, um, now, back in the 70s and 80s, because uh, I believe Julie Schwartz, and Rich, correct me if I'm wrong, I think he did Superman up until whatever happened to The Man of Tomorrow, so mid-80s. Yeah. Um, yeah. was he the, did he do a lot of press and conventions to promote Superman or was he the kind of guy that let the books do the talking? He didn't. He, he didn't. Right. Um, until after he retired, his gotcha. wife died when, when she was, she was very young. I mean, she was 70. Right. Uh, he was 70. They were the same age. Yes. Um, and she died. She, um, it, it was, I guess, 76 or so, 77. I don't know. Okay, when you're still um, working, yeah, okay. Yeah, and I did a, jeez, Superman number 400. Did you want to get to that? Because I was doing that at that point. Yeah. And and he was hardly ever in the office. He was hardly ever at work. Right. He was at the hospital. Gotcha, yeah. Um, They were very close. She used to call him every other hour, and he would call him, her, on alternate hours. They would talk for 10 seconds and then hang up. Yep. Um just to make sure the other was there. Yeah. They were like that. They were, yeah. they had this intense relationship. Uh-huh. Um, and, uh, so when we did this, the, uh, Superman number 400 that had all these artists who had never worked on the character before. Yeah. Um, it was a chance for me to play editor a lot of times. Cause I was on the phone with these artists, um, and writing short scripts for each of them. Yeah. And yeah. And he was out of the office and you know, he did a great book. I mean, it's a, it's a fantastic. But... That's the one with Starenko and stuff and like it's a lot yeah. am I right? That, yeah, well, it's a yeah. very good book. Yeah. It's it's kind of all like imaginary takes on Superman sort of thing, isn't it? Or yeah. in the future or something. Yeah. I can't remember. It's the future. It's yeah. the future yeah. take on Superman. Yeah, it's from cool. Yeah. Whatever period of time. And Starenko, I called him up. He was a he's a good guy. Yeah. Um, I said, 
you know, could we get you to write one of these, to draw one of these stories? Mm. And he said, you know, I'm primarily a writer. <laughs> I said, no, you're not. <laughs> you're an artist. Everybody knows you're an artist. <laughs> no, I think it would be insulting for another writer to, uh, to, to write to my, uh, to my, uh, to my artwork. I said, great, write your own story. He did It'll a great be job. wonderful. He did a great job on he that did. story. He did. Yeah, it's fantastic. It was poetic for heaven's sake. Yeah. But he calls me up and reads me the script before he hands it in. <laughs> God bless him. You know, he wanted to make sure it was okay with me. Um, okay. Sure. This is great, Jim. <laughs> I remember at the end of that one because I did it recently on, on on a show. We were discussing it. It's got a really cool bit at the end with um, sort of Superman and famous people and like celebrities and stuff and like you yeah, know, like a big picture. And you can go th- and it's mixed in with DC characters. Like it's it's it like Kojak's there and I think other Dean Martin's there and various people. Like it's cool. Now I'm remembering as a kid, Superman was totally in the zeitgeist. Like, I didn't even question his existence. It's kind of funny to think now, you know, 2022, Superman is still a big character, but, like, they can't get a movie off the ground. He, he You know, he's there, yeah. but it just feels like in the 70s and 80s, I remember as a kid, Superman was the the big, big hero. He was the number one, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's interesting how... I, I don't know how we've gotten away from that because he's such a powerful character. Like just Well, visually. they got my phone number. They do, they do. Now, um, I'm remembering, um, I, I read, uh, Rich has got some questions for you, but before that, I you, you did an issue, Superman 282, um, Luthor, Lex Luthor, your favourite character, hits Superman with a ray and de-ages him to a younger Superman. He's younger, right. he's more brutal. Um, would you have liked to have spent more time with that Superman? Because you seem to be having a great time in that issue. He, he's sort of not yeah. as restrained. Well, yeah, I... There's all this stuff I would have liked to do with the character. Sure. You know, people ask me all the time, what would you have done with Superman? And I say, you know, a million things. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It was just time to change. They wanted to change and they, they wanted to depower the character again, which made no sense at all. Well, yeah, Um, it's always absurd. Like, oh, we've depowered him 30%. What does that even mean? You know, <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. It like he it can... means instead of juggling planets, he can change the course of mighty rivers. I don't know. Yeah. Now, uh, Rich, you've got some questions here on some artists. Uh, yeah. So um, obviously you've uh, had a very lengthy career with the fabulous Kurt Swan, but um, has there been any other artists that you've really enjoyed working with or any others that have sort of complemented or you felt really gelled oh, yeah. with your way of storytelling? Okay. Yeah, and I, I wish I'd done more with Neil, with Neil Adams. Sure. Um, we were friends. We, you know, we were friends till he died, for heaven's sake. Mm. Um, but he always considered himself a mentor, and I would laugh. <laughs> <laughs> he, I mean, he, was, he wasn't a writer. You know, if I had a mentor who was a writer, it was Denny O'Neill. Sure. Mm. But at some point, I remember sitting in uh, the coffee room at DC. Um, and I sat down next to Neil, he was drawing a cover. And Ray Zalgul was on the, the cover. Oh yeah. And uh, I said, you know, that guy's a great character. I really love that character. And I meant the idea yeah. that Denny had come up with. And he said, thank you. <laughs> and I, <laughs> I was gonna explain to him, well, you're welcome, but I was talking about something else. But then he started going into this whole big thing about how Rage was 
uh, visually just, uh, you know, I didn't even think of Raish as a, as a visual character. He was an immortal. I like that. Sure. Um, he said he's six foot six. Um, he's thin as a rail and he's got no eyebrows. And I'd never noticed that before. So at some point, Irv Dovik drew a Raish al Ghul story and he put these big, huge eyebrows on him because he thought with the deep set eyes, he thought Neil meant for that to be eyebrows, but they weren't. So Neil convinced Julie to send it back to Irv to uh, to redo all the faces with no eyebrows. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> That's interesting. What was the question? <laughs> who who oh, else? Just any, any artist you enjoyed working with? Dick Giordano, Irv Novik. Yeah. Um, Irv Novik did some really I, good I stuff. I can't list people because I love them. Yeah. You know? Well, tell, um, tell us about Kurt Swan. Like, you, I mean, Kurt Swan did a hell of a lot of Superman during the period you were yeah. writing him. Um, yeah, how was... the greatest Superman artist, uh, probably to grace the earth. Yeah, the greatest, the greatest. So did you work closely with him? Like, did you give him full script? I mean, take us through his process, because the guy's an absolute legend. Oh, man, no. Um, I didn't work closely with him, and I wish I had. Mm. We We weren't friends until the end. Really? Um, yeah. And then we made, we were great friends. Right. But he, Julie had read this book by Peter Fuller on uh-huh. management, uh-huh. which was like the management uh, Bible for the 70s. Gotcha. And Fuller said, the way to get anything done is to pit people against each other in the workplace and have them <laughs> compete. Yeah. And okay. this was just yeah. so ass backwards. Yeah. You know, it, it, is. it probably caused the great. Depression, <laughs> the, the the whole uh, the whole stagflation thing that happened here yeah. in the seventies. Yeah, um, it was awful. So Julie, from the time I started, every time Kurt complained about something, mm. it was Elliot's fault. Right, right. And uh, you know, Kurt said, you know, because because I would I would go off in these tangents in a script. I would go, you know, write all this ancillary information in the scene descriptions um, that had nothing to do with anything, but it was just to loosen myself up. Yep. And we didn't have word processors then. We had typewriters. So if I'm writing, I'm just going to leave it there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and Kurt would want to throttle me. And Julie would just feed on this. Yeah. Um, so Kurt and I didn't. We, we weren't. We, I, I would leave the office when he came up. Really? Sometimes. Just wow. So I didn't run into. Yeah, because he was mad at me. Wow. So, <laughs> okay. And was he older? With, he would have been older like than you, wouldn't he? Sometime in 1986, yeah. toward the end of our run together, yeah. we're at this convention in Ithaca. The, uh, Julie was there, too, actually. Uh, Jan Dersima was there uh, in Ithaca, New York, at this convention in this hotel. Yeah. Um, and for no good reason, Kurt walks up to me on Sunday morning. We're staying in the same hotel. And he says to me, young man, would you care to have a libation? That's what he said. He yeah. talked funny. Right. <laughs> and I said, sure. So we went into this room, into the, into the restaurant in, in the hotel, and we sat down and had breakfast and vodka for four or five hours. Right, yeah. We're drinking vodka. Wow. And, and there's this girl sitting there playing a harp in the middle of the room. It was like being in heaven. <laughs> yeah. And and we talked about politics and Julie and Superman yeah. and all these things we both loved. And we decided we were buddies now. Right. Well, that's great. You kind of buried the hatchet, you know? Yeah. I mean, there was no hatchet to bury. No, it was just yeah. Like but you, him and me. You understood each other at last kind of thing. Yeah. 
Yeah. So for the rest of his life, we were we hung out together. Well, that's cool. Um, and was well, he? Yeah, it had a happy ending. Was he a fair bit yeah. older than you? Because I mean, he was running super or drawing oh, super. Oh yeah, he was. Yeah. yeah, he was. He was about Julie's age, maybe a little older. I wonder if it could have been a generation thing. You know, you were the you were the young twenty something, and he was. Yeah. You know, he was thirty five plus yeah, years that older. Could have been. Oh, I would think so. It could have been. If you think about it, like, and we didn't have we didn't have the thing I had in common with Julie, the, you know, the the New York thing going on. Yeah, yeah. Kurt was, you know, he was from the artist colony in Connecticut. <laughs> was, yeah, it's a different it's a different vibe, and I, and and I imagine, um, you know, in New York in the sixties and seventies, like a lot of uh, it was a lot of changes with the young people coming through, breaking through to to the older yeah. established ways of thinking and everything. So it would have been a, and yet yeah, it's, it's kind of funny, but I'm glad that you guys kind of like, you know, mate, you know, you, you broke bread at last. Yeah. <laughs> that's great. Um, now we broke bread and we poured alcohol. Yeah. That's because Well, sometimes vodka, you know, there you go. A bit of vodka. Now uh, I do <laughs> want to mention this. Um, we did this on the show last week. It was action comic six, four, two. So I think it's towards the end of your run. It's in the eighties. I think it, yeah, it had to be. You had various. Two, which one was that? Well, I can explain it. You had various candidates being assessed for Green Lantern potential, um, alongside um, superheroes like, you know, yeah. um, you know, Nightwing and stuff. You had cultural identities such as Archbishop Desmond Tutu um, from yeah. South Africa, and I want to ask. Yeah, that you... was actually that was actually a few years after I stopped writing the character. Right. Um, that was just like a one shot. It's cool. I love it. And you had an yeah. 80s hostage negotiator. My question was I remember in the 80s, there was a guy who got captured, Terry White, yeah. I believe. Was Terry that... White. Yeah, Terry was... Waite. Terry White. Was, was that him. the guy in the comic? Was yeah. it based on him? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That's really and cool. And there was, a, there was a, uh, a Secret Service agent, I think. Yeah, there, there. was. Um, that was modeled after the guy who jumped on Johnson when he heard the shots. Oh, he see. jumped on Johnson in the car. Wow. Okay. So yeah, you. That's a really cool. So comic. all these guys, they were all up for being Green Lantern. Yeah. But Hal made it. <laughs> yeah, he did. He he did make it. And Rich is a massive uh, Hal Jordan Green Lantern fan, so I think Rich was pretty happy that Hal got the nod. <laughs> yeah. Um, little, little less, little less happy that Superman got the nod first. <laughs> <That's>... <laughs> Well, what are you going to do? Exactly. It's a Superman <laughs> story. Rich, get over it. Um, now, I, before I pass you over to Rich for a question, I've got one about the saying, truth, justice, the American way. To me, always yeah. very aspirational, always very associated with the character. I never questioned it my whole life. At some point in the last decade, they've dropped the American way, which to me is sad. What's your take as a former Superman writer? It's not only sad, it's profane. Yeah. The American way is not necessarily American and it's not anything anybody's ever achieved. It's, it's the idea of this country yeah. that I grew up in. Yeah. Um, you know, it was founded by a bunch of guys who were assholes, but had this, had this notion mm. that life was perfectible mm -hmm. and maybe they were right. I mean, half of them were slave owners for heaven's sakes, but but they came up with this idea yeah. that was bigger than the bunch of them. Mm. Um, and I don't know, you, you guys didn't grow up in this country, but we, you know, we are taught in history that the founding fathers were this magical group of brilliant men who there was never anything like them. Sure. Mythologized kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. They were mythologized very clearly. Mm. Um, 
but that wasn't how they were. I mean, I studied history in college. I taught history. Mm. Um, my daughter is a fifth grade teacher now. She's they were humans she's like studying anyone else, history you know? on her own because, yeah. huh? They were humans, like with human flaws and stuff. Yeah. They were. Yeah. I mean, Jefferson. Owned, sl- Jefferson owned slaves, didn't he, I believe? Am I right? Not only did he own slaves, he enslaved the children he had by his rape victims. For, wow. He had at least four slaves, four children by Sally Hemings. Uh. Um, and, you know, ostensibly he freed her during her life. He gave her papers. She never told anybody until she was very old after he died. Right. Um, but, you know, the relationship between a, a master and a slave is essentially rape. Sure. There's nothing, there's, there's no getting around that. Uh, and when you say, well, Jefferson was a product of his times, what you're saying was the guy who wrote the Declaration of Independence, mm. all men are created equal, uh, they're endowed with inalienable rights, mm. uh, didn't know any better? Yeah, Give me a break. There's some hypocrisy better. there. There's some hypocrisy yeah. for sure. Um, yeah, of course. Yeah. But he was still a hero because he wrote those words. Yeah. Because the idea he had turned into this country. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, the American way should be on that. It should. Thing, I, I right? wonder why. I wonder, is it just that they were embarrassed of some ins- I don't even understand why they dropped it. Like it's Well, seems, because we've, yeah. had, we've, had, we've had a few bad presidents. Sure, and we've had, but they've been bad and good presidents the whole time. Of (laughs) like politicians are politicians, you know what I mean? You're going to have, I don't know. It's it's bigger than a politician to me, though. You know, like I don't know. I just I just think they've. I I I honestly think weirdly it's one of those things which it it speaks to obviously the management at DC, but it speaks to a wider gulf. I think in the public as well that they're a bit lost. Yeah, you know, and yeah. I almost think it's time I, – I really am one of those people. I believe sometimes it's good to be a little bit old-fashioned because it brings back a bit of stuff that's been lost, a bit of direction, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, just, that's just my view. But hey, glad to hear your thoughts. Yeah. You, Rich, you've got a question about the Justice League story? Uh, yeah, so uh, there's Which a Justice one? League story you did with uh, Carrie Bates, and you, you're oh, on record yeah. as saying – not liking the story because uh, you and Carrie basically had a cameo in it. Uh, oh, it wasn't a cameo. We were main characters of the damn thing. Yeah, exactly. Well, we, I mean, that's what I mean. When I say cameo, I mean, you basically wrote yourselves yeah. into this thing. Um, yeah. Wh- what is it that you ended up not liking about well, okay. that story I mean, you the reason, the reason we came up with this idea was, you know, friends of ours kept putting themselves in stories. Um <laughs> I mean, just, just little, you know, walk-ins and walk-ons and, yep, you know, and I, I'm as guilty of that as anybody up until this point. I used to put my girlfriends in stories and <laughs> my cousin. Uh, I love it. But we decided, Carrie and I decided, we're going to do one that's so bad, that's so <laughs> over the top, that nobody else will ever do it again. So we wrote this story. Um where he's the villain and I'm the hero and I help the justice league in the satellite in space. I got to go in space. Um, and he got to wear a costume and he's the baddie. He's the baddie of the story. Yeah. 
um, and 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 the story was just so goofy, um, and we meant for it to be goofy, and that's yeah. how we wanted it to be received. And I got more fan mail on that thing than on anything in my life. <laughs> Everybody loved it. It is fun. Um, it is I got, fun. I got women. <laughs> propositioning me i got a stalker out of the thing really um some girl in in new orleans kept writing me letters because i was so special that's uh, because she saw me in tight jeans in that story wow um so it was a bit of a backfire i i guess it was i mean i i was kind of horrified by it for i mean now i like it because i'm it's fun old and (laughs) stupid but (laughs) was it dick dylan uh on our duties for that um well, I, well, I'm sorry. Was it Dick Dillon on, on Art Judy's um, for for that? Yeah, justice? yeah, Dick Dillon and uh, Joe Giella. I I got to be honest. I I hear people these days talk smack about Dick Dillon, and I loved his art on Justice League. I've got the omnibuses. I think it's just He's, he was know, very good. Oh he man, was real oh, yeah. good. he was a good layout guy. Yeah, and like, so he was did. he he in the room with you know was was there like a DC bullpen? Was he there or was he no, offside? No, no, there wasn't. No, there really wasn't. Oh really? Um, I mean, there were places to hang out, you know, yeah. but there wasn't, there weren't spaces for people. So he would do his art um, at home, would he? And then send it in? Is that what yeah. would happen? Yeah, right. Yeah, he would walk in. He he had these. He wore. He always wore this jacket with these enormous pockets. I used to call him Captain Gangaroo. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And uh, at some point, you know, Dick Giordano was a big Dick Dillon fan. He thought Dick right. was terrific. Yeah. Um, and and the. Uh, the Green Lantern Superman story, um, the greatest Green Lantern of all. Yes. Dick drew that. Yes. Um, he did a knockout job. He and, sure did. and Dick Giordano just wanted to show that with the right inker, his art would really pop. And it did. Yeah. yeah. Um, and he was, uh, Joe, Joe was a good inker, mm. um, but not for Dick. Yeah. Joe would be a good inker on somebody who was. Joe would be a good inker on Kurt Swan, for heaven's sakes. Sure. You know, you put together a team based on everybody's strengths. Yeah, compatibility. And Joe was clear and concise and, and, and knocked out stuff that didn't belong there. And it just didn't belong on, on Dick's pencils. Yeah. Um, and he did Justice League for a long time because I've got the omnibuses and he's, he's in plenty yeah. of them, so... Was he an older guy too? Was he kind of of that age bracket? No, like... he's. I think he's around. I think he's in his nineties now. Right. No, he was older than me, but older. Wow. You know, he yeah. wasn't that. He wasn't Julie's age. Yeah. Okay. Wow, that's interesting. And is he still alive, Dick Dillon? I didn't realize yeah. that. Wow. I think, I... He's, I think he's in his nineties. I did not know that. There you go. I hope he's still alive. I tell <laughs> you, do you, have you ever? I don't know if you ever crossed paths with this guy, but um, Don Perlin, um, who was a Marvel guy who did like Ghost Rider and stuff. He's in his nineties and he's still going, man. Because I chat to him on Facebook. Really? He's a really nice guy, and um, yeah, yeah he, like he's in his nineties and still active on Facebook and still putting stuff up. That's incredible. I, I'm forty eight and feel like I'm knocking on the door. I've got a bad hip, bad back, and everything. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know what I mean? No. Um, now I, I got wanna... a list of novels to write. I got a list of six novels to write. You should I do was it. Working man. on four of them at a time. You should do it. And you know uh, what? You should, anytime you want to promote a novel, you are more than welcome on Signal Doom because we love your stuff. Now I've got a question about Joker. 
Um, in the 70s, yeah. uh, I, I want to say mid-late 70s, you guys did a Joker solo series, which I really enjoyed. There's a Luther Joker one where they swap personalities and a Scarecrow yeah. Joker one. Now, yeah. was that fun to do, doing a Joker oh, character? Yeah, I loved it. Yeah. I, I wanted to do it forever. I, I loved that series, and I did maybe half of them, I guess. You did, yeah. I yeah, mean, there's... they only ran like 10 issues. Exactly. Nine issues, something like that. Now, I've got um, two questions. Why did it stop? And was it like, because he does kill people in the in the comic. The people do die, but it's very comedic. Um, yeah. How did you find, like, because when I think of Joker and Joker Solo, I think of like the dark Brian Azzarello stuff. But back then in the 70s, um, was something stopping you from going really dark or and bleak? Yeah. Or what were you doing? Yeah, the comics code. The comics code. The comics code. code. So that yeah. was still a big thing back in the 70s. I, yeah, I, and that oh, was the right. problem with that series. We wanted to do a series on the Joker where, you know, you'd have continuing ideas and, you know, sometimes he'd come out on top. And, yeah. and one of the rules with the comics code, hard and fast, was that at the end of the story, the villain had to lose. Really? Mm-hmm. So it was that strict? Yeah. The oh, villain okay. had to be, there had to be some cosmic comeuppance for the villain. So at the end of every one of those stories, he'd either get Child. sent to... Arkham, or he'd fall off a bridge, or he'd die or something, and then the next issue, we would ignore that and just carry on. <laughs> yeah, and, I, I love how you did a hideout. Fun, but... You did a hideout under his cell. It's so funny. Yeah. <laughs> it's just... Yeah, the, but, it's, uh, but he does... The... So you were allowed to kill people, because he does kill people, yeah. but at the end of it, like, generally he's captured, basically, normally. One of, one of them, he dives off a bridge. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I threw him off a bridge. And then the next issue, he's fine. <laughs> you know? And w- were you pitching to Julie for these, or or was it? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. and Julie was like, well, he was all behind to do it. the series, right? Huh? So he saw the potential. He saw the potential of Joker. Oh yeah, and yeah. His 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 the series was his idea. So um, why did it we, stop? We had we had the hacienda, which was which was his hideout. Mm. And the mini ha hacienda was like a, 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 the hideout under his cell. I love it. I love that. And one so his much. whole whole home on wheels was a <laughs> was a whatever was a yeah, it was like a mobile know, home a kind of thing. Or something. Yeah, yeah. But but like, here's my question. Um, I, I love it. I think it's got so much potential. Was it sales? Was it the DC implosion? What was the problem? Like, why did it stop after you know nineteen you issues? You know, I don't know. Don't I know. don't know. Somebody asked me that not long ago. Yeah. And somebody said, well, how did you feel when they told you the Joker was going to be canceled? And I couldn't remember. I don't think anybody ever told me. Sure. They just kept feeding me scripts to do. I guess Whenever you were they so had busy. an opening, they plugged me in. Yeah. So I didn't go without work. Yeah. And you were um, so busy that you're like, I don't have a Joker script, but I've got a Superman script. I've got a this script. I've got that script. It's like, what's right. the difference? You exactly. Know? Yeah. So – Yeah. Talk us through, if you can, I want to say late 70s, I'm not sure exactly when um, you were there, Elliot, the DC implosion. What happened? Uh, what the I DC? Don't know. Yeah. What, what was the impact I on mean, you? There was, was there an impact? There was a period of time. There was a period of time when I was out of town. I was living in New Hampshire for a while, and I right. think that's when that happened. Oh, so you um, kind of missed it kind of thing. Yeah. It sounds like it was a terrible time at DC. I don't quite understand what happened. I think they expanded and maybe the sales weren't there. Yeah, I think they overdid it. Yeah. I mean, they wanted to... At some point, I remember Dick Giordano saying, we want to limit everything to 55 books a month. 
which is quite a, quite a few. Yeah, that's a lot. But uh, <laughs> it was fewer than they were doing. Wow, so, uh, really? They canceled a bunch of stuff. They yeah. were doing more than fifty-five books. That's a that's a lot. You know? Yeah, that's a huge number. Yeah, I I tell you what, these days, uh, Elliot, um, I don't know how closely you keep in touch, but they do so much Batman, and I love my Batman, but they have yeah. spammed that Batman button so many times and they're so reliant on Batman that uh, it makes me wonder if there's some problems on some of the other titles, like that the Bat family is doing so much. And we're talking like miniseries as well, like a lot of miniseries. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. crazy. Now, Rich, you've got a question well, about the podcast? Oh, yeah. Early, so we were doing some, uh, you know, a bit of deep diving and we discovered that you had a uh, podcast called uh, Elliot Makes Stuff Up. Where right. you narrated your Superman novels, and I was just curious. I, I, um, yeah. Well, how come you didn't? Uh, uh, did you consider narrating your Superman issues, or <laughs> like yeah, just kept it going? I, I just, you know, with a lot of work. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. break, and the break turned into two years. I got a ah. book I wrote called um, "Not My Closet," which is not comic related. It's the first book I've written that doesn't have people who fly under their own power. Mm. <laughs> So I, I thought I'd I'd uh, crank it up again and, and read that. It's a long book, and it's serious. It's about regular people. I don't know how it will go over. Um, well, I've got, I haven't gotten well, much feedback on it. I've got that book on my Kindle Unlimited, and um, we'll, next time we'll have you on, we'll talk about it because it's a really interesting okay. read. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, yeah, look, I want to um, point listeners to that podcast because if you, you can pick up Miracle Monday and Last Son of Krypton from Amazon – and you can also listen along to Elliot's reading, and it's fantastic. Um, now, I want to ask you, uh, and I, and yeah. my apologies if this is a sensitive topic, Elliot. Like, in the mid-'80s, you seem to, like, they, I don't know what the word is, but they, they, they transitioned Superman away from what you guys had been doing for, like, 15, 16 years, and they had yeah. the John Byrne reboot and stuff. And I recall it at the time. It was a big deal. But you seem to have pretty much not done a lot of comics since then um what happened in the x really yeah what what happened man like why why haven't you been tapped by dc since then so much i think i stayed with it as long as i did because i loved superman yeah that's my character yeah and they didn't they didn't want me identified with the character anymore mm. after that transition i was too identified with the character they didn't want me making contributions or whatever wow i don't know why it's crazy um it but, just feels uh, like it just feels like I get that he came on. I I understand it was very hyped and very popular. But a few years down the track, a lot of different people are writing. You got your Roger Stearns, you got Louise Simonson, like good yeah, writers. Yeah, he lasted. You know? John lasted maybe a year and a half. Yeah, he really it was a pig and a poke, you know. Yeah, it's crazy. They brought him in, they gave him a big bonus, and he left to do She Hulk. For heaven's sake, who <laughs> cares? Yeah, <laughs> I I I just think to myself like. Was it a management thing, though, or something? Like, because Julie had yeah. left, were you without a sort of like yeah. a, a friend yeah. of the company kind of thing? Yeah. Um, Jeanette was the publisher. She didn't like Superman much as a character. Really? Um, Interesting. Thought, thought he was dull. And she was there for a and long time. I mean, I... She was there for a long yeah, time. I remember her name and, well into the 90s, yeah? Yeah. And she, uh, she was a big Batman fan. Right. So she boosted Batman. And yeah. that's really... Well... Not only that, but but Michael Uslin and and Ben Ben Melnicker. Did you uh, have much a relationship with Paul Levitz? Because I know Paul Levitz was there a long time. Yeah, Paul Levitz is a friend of mine. Yeah, 
He's yeah. a good guy. Yeah, he seems like I mean, like God, I can't speak enough praise about Paul Levitz. I think some of the stuff he's done over the years is you know, that he's not just written, but been behind the scenes. Like he was a very much higher up executive for a lot of years there. So yeah, you know, he he didn't think that anybody on staff should be writing. He right. thought freelancers should be separate from editors, and he was a really good writer. Yeah, he was. Um, and I, I always used to tell him I wish he'd written more. Yeah. Um, and he was he was just mostly into business, you know? Well, I guess by that point, um, too, during his period, I mean, it really expanded. Like, I mean, it was big yeah. numbers and probably so much stuff on his plate. Like, it would be tough to find the time kind of thing. Yeah, now, I but... Guess. Yeah, but I hear what you're saying. You're saying at night you could crank out a script. Now, Blue Grain the Bat, um, this is an extremely fun... Batman Civil War Elseworlds story, um, early 90s. Great artwork by Alan Weiss. Um, was this a storyline yeah. you carried around for years? Because I love this story. I think it's great. No, no, no. This is something, this is something I worked out with Alan over dinner one day. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we sold Denny on it. Yeah. And it was just around the time I was moving from New York to California. Yep. So it got all balled up in, in my move, and it was late, and everybody was pissed at me that I hadn't finished the script. But it was an idea that Alan and I had. Um, and it was the first time I'd, I'd worked with him. I mean, he'd been a friend for years. Yeah. Uh, great, but, uh, great, great artwork. I've got to say, like, it's... It... Oh, yeah. Just, I, I love his artwork. I always did. Yeah, it's, it's... Uh, you know, he was doing uh, John, John Carter of Mars, I think. Right, okay. He was doing sarks and things back when we first met. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was fun. It's a fun one, and um, it's available in the Batman Elseworlds trades that they've put out. I think they've put out three. It's in one of those, and you can get yeah. it on Comixology listeners, so I would strongly advise you to check that out. Uh, Rich has got a question okay. about Marvel. Um, go ahead, well, Rich. So you, you did mention this before, that when you got a little bit upset with uh, Julie or whatever, you'd, you'd go across to Marvel and... No, I was... Uh, I was always a little bit upset with Julie <laughs> when I got real upset with him. Yeah. So, but I'm just curious, is there any reason why like, I guess Marvel didn't try and sort of uh, poach you or, or get you on there as a permanent, or did you just, just see yourself as a DC sort of guy and you just, I don't know. I, as, soon as, as long as they gave me work, I'd like to, uh, you know, I wanted to work with DC. Sure. I didn't, you know, we were all freelancers. Um, you know, Marv and Lynn, Len Wein, Marv Wolfman, they were back and forth all the time. They uh, sure were, Jerry yeah. Conway. Yeah. They were always back and forth. And I just never needed to, I guess. Yeah. Um, and when I needed to, they were there. Yeah. So, you know, it was a community. What, we were what, all buddies. What about post-80? You know, po oh, we're obviously doing a what-if storyline here, but post, like, John Byrne coming in and you losing the Superman gig, did, yeah. you, did you approach Marvel then and sort of say, like, can, we, can I do some work kind of thing? I don't know. Yeah. I don't think so. I was I was out of town. You were out of town. It was out of your mind. I was now, living in I was living in New Hampshire. It really wasn't. And they hadn't they hadn't. Um, you know now they use uh, FedEx or yes. Airborne. Yeah. As a postage stamp, but mm -hmm. they weren't at that time, and you really had to be around. Gotcha. Yeah, so no, I, was, I, I get it. I was out of town, and then when I came back to New York, I was an editor at DC for a while. They offered me a job. Oh, that's cool. Um, what, do you, and, do you remember what like you edited? It. Did you remember any of the books yeah. that you edited? What did you do? I edited all the TSR books. Oh, really? Um, I yeah. edited. I edited the. Uh, so Dungeons and Dragons, the unknown that. Yeah, huh? Dungeons and Dragons yeah, and Dungeons Advanced. Dungeons and Dragons, uh, Dragonlance. Dragonlance. Oh, they're yeah. great books, Elliot. 
Elliot, the next time yep. we have you on, we can go deep dive on that because we had Ed Greenwood, the guy who created the Forgotten Realms. We we had yeah. him. I had him on the show. Such a nice guy, man. Such a nice guy. What a brilliant writer. I've never met him. Uh, He's a brilliant writer. Yeah, he is. And we did, I'm not kidding, Three, I, me, me and him, three hours of t- chatting. At the end of it, he said, Dave, we can stay on the line and keep chatting if you want. And I was like, I'm tired, Ed. But <laughs> <laughs> he, he's such a nice guy. Like, I, I just can't stress it enough. And a brilliant writer, as you say. Now, well, t- he's a Midwesterner. <laughs> yeah. He doesn't have that New York edge. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, I um, totally different topic, and we're getting towards the end now, Elliot, so don't feel like you're going to be on here for hours. Um, I see that you ran, this is Wikipedia, for political office in the 80s and I think 1990. What was that experience I ran like? For, I ran for Congress in New Hampshire. And what was that like? You must have been pretty serious about your ambitions if you went to all that effort and expense. Like, yeah, what was it like? I, that's what I always wanted to do when I was a kid. Mm. I always figured I wanted to be in Congress. And I met this guy who was running for this congressional seat. Mm. He walked into this office where I was working. I was using my father-in-law's office. And he walks in, he says, I'm Judd Gregg, I'm running for Congress. Here, have some literature. <laughs> and I stopped him, I said, wait a minute, you're my age. You're running for Congress? He says, yeah. I said, you were in Columbia in 1970. You probably knew Mark Rudd personally. You probably got high with him, didn't you? And you're <laughs> running on for Congress on a on a ticket that's headed by Ronald Reagan. Aren't you ashamed of yourself? So he ran out the door and went away. <laughs> I love he it. He just didn't want to engage. I love it. So, so four years later, I ran against him because, was it four years later? Yeah, I guess it was four years later. Yeah. Um, and by then, he was entrenched. His father had been governor. Yeah, his father was the his father was a great guy. Um, Judd was actually pretty nice, um, but uh, but he was he was the Republican seat holder. He was the yes. incumbent. Yeah, and eventually he got to be governor and then senator. And I tried. I ran against him just to give him a bad summer. Yeah, um, right. And I think I did, but I but I I lost. <laughs> I lost completely. And, and you I were lost a, so badly that I never did it again. Really, a, a Democrat. I, yeah. I thought. All right. Was it? Yeah. Dem- yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, your convictions come through in your writings. Would have been an interesting experience. Was it an expensive experience? Like, you know, to. Was it a what? And like expensive, like having to raise all the money and stuff? Oh, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. yeah I was working for Atari. Okay. And, and they paid me very well. I was designing games for them that never got out the door. Right. Um, so I ran for Congress. I figured there'd be plenty of money, and I ended up in the hole. Yeah. Um, so all my Atari money went away. <laughs> yeah, well, it's but, it's uh, one of those things, though, isn't it? Like, um, uh, it, money is entrenched, and in America, even more so than here. I think yeah. it's just yeah. And, it's, and I'm not you know, I'm not real good at asking people for contributions. I'm sure. just not good at that. So okay, so, but it's still interesting you did it though. Like, and I, I looked at. I mean, you polled like people voted for you, like according to Wikipedia, yeah. anyway. You know, so did you yeah, have to do debates and stuff? Was there debates and everything like that? No, you know, he, he kept dodging. Yeah, and, he kept dodging. You know, I did a debate in the primary. I blew the primary. Yeah. So I didn't have an excuse to debate him, and he didn't debate the guy that uh, that ran in the general. Yeah, gotcha. Um, I don't know why. Um, but uh, Fascinating. You, you're the first guy we've had on who's run for political office that I'm aware of. You're the first guy. We have people from all different stripes, Elliot, but you're someone who actually put the money where the mouth is and went after yeah. him. 
Um, now, Rich, you've got a question um, relating to yeah, your heritage. Also, uh, I'm very, very curious, uh, uh, Elliot. Uh, as a South African, uh, I'm curious yeah. how you came to write about the Boer Wars uh, for a boys' magazine. Oh, how did you know that? Why well, we do our research. <laughs> okay, that's great. That was the first published work I ever had. Um, I don't know. I was I was in high school, and I think we had just studied it, and I wanted to write something. So I found in uh, Writer's Market at the library. I went to the library for you know, where can I sell a story? And I came across Canadian Boy Magazine, which was the equivalent of what we had here, which was Boy's Life, the Boy Scout magazine. And uh, I wrote them a story, a time travel story, where Winston Churchill, um, who was in a, in a prison camp in 1899 during the Boer War, um, he was trying to break out. And this kid, found himself in a time warp and helped Winston Churchill get out of the prison camp. Okay. <laughs> so, so I sold him that story. I did like five drafts of it. I was, I was intent on, on, on getting this thing published. And I guess I was 17 and, uh, oh. I, I, yeah, we just studied it in school that month and I, you know, said, okay, this that's is a great. good story. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was so fresh in the mind. Work. Huh? So it was fresh in the mind. So your first okay. published work uh, I, is about the Boer War. That is, as a South African, that's fascinating to me. I love it. Oh, yeah. Um, it was called Mr. Conrad's Miscalculation. Oh. And Conrad was this, uh, was this uh, alien, futuristic kind of guy who accidentally sent his kid into a time warp. And that was the story. <laughs> I love it. And look, Elliot... <laughs> It is, like, honestly, this has been such an honour to chat to you, and I, I want you to know, like, any time you'd like to come back on Signal of Doom to promote anything, you're more than welcome, man. Like, um, Sure. Now, yeah, this is actually fun. Oh, this is great. Now, I've, I, I do want to say before you go, um, firstly, are you working on anything right now, and can you, is, is there anything you'd like to let listeners know or places to find you? Like, well, the floor is yours. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm working on four books. Uh, four novels, and I'm concentrating on one of them. Yep. And I don't want to tell you what it is because um, I don't want anybody else to know. Gotcha. But, <laughs> Keep it uh, secret. Yeah. I'm. I'm. Uh, yeah. I got a scheme to get it published, and uh, if if I can't get it published, I'll publish it myself. I mean, that's what I was. That's what I've been doing with the old with the old books that uh, that fell out of print. Yeah, and and oh. I've got those copies, and they're fantastic, and um, yeah, it works. So, look, Elliot, when the time comes um, that you want to promote that that novel, um, please Absolutely. hit me up, and we will have you on. I mean, I'm I'm I'd, I'd have you on again to talk more Superman. We can go into Dungeons and Dragons, all that stuff. Um, okay. There is just so much stuff to talk about, but I, I do want to say thank you, Elliot, and have a wonderful day. I will try. You too, guys. <laughs> Thank you. Bye-bye.